0: As we look at the idea of Satan today uh, in our lesson, we want to look at the idea of Satan's rotten fruit. Now, off the probably 75 yards or so off the back corner of my grandfather's house, he has now left two pear trees. Before that, he had a couple of pear trees, a couple of apple trees, a couple of peach trees. Uh, a few, you know, right through there, so so he could have uh, fruit until so he could put fruit up uh, through the winter time. And he would say to us, "Go get the apples that are that are ready to be picked, or go get the pears, or go get the peaches before they get too soft." It, it was not until later in life that I realized that the trees really looked differently. I would just go to the tree that had the apples on it or go to the tree that had the peaches on it. And I figured at that point I was at the right tree. And so we'd pick the fruit and we'd take it back to him. The idea that Satan has rotten fruit can be seen throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, the fruit that he produces or the fruit that anyone produces proves what kind of person they are. Look over at Matthew chapter 13 if you will. Matthew chapter 13, you'll run into the parable of the sower. Here a sower went forth to sow, and he he broadcast seed out into every direction, and some of it fell in the path. Some of it fell on rocky soil, and some of it fell on good soil. Some of it fell on thorny soil. And those... um, uh, Seeds begin to sprout up, and some would be choked out by thorns. Some would be would be choked out due to uh, the rock in the soil. Some would actually grow. If you look at verse number ten, I believe it is in Matthew chapter thirteen. Here's what to read: and Jesus said, "Now the seed is the word of God. Well, that fruit that's produced by that seed that is the word of God proves exactly what it is. You cannot take this book." And exclusively this book and get anything else other than a Christian. And so the fruit that this book produces proves who he is. Turn over to you to Luke chapter six and verse number forty-three. In Luke, here's what Luke will write. Luke chapter six. And verse number forty-three. Here's what you'll read. For a good tree bringeth not corrupt fruit. Neither does the corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. What an interesting idea. Jesus speaking there, he'll say, you can't have a tree that's good and healthy consistently produce rotten fruit. Now, we understand that every now and again you can find a rotten piece of fruit. On that good tree. But he's saying consistently bringing forth bad fruit. As a matter of fact, you can't have a bad tree, a dead tree, one that's not going to produce. Bring forth good fruit. It just doesn't happen. The fruit proves what type of tree it is. John chapter 15 and verse number 8. herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And in that you'll be my disciple. What kind of fruit do you bear? Just even before we start to think about Satan's rotten fruit, what kind of fruit do you bear? What kind of fruit do I bear? And is God going to be happy with the fruit that I bear, or am I just happy enough to get by? Notice this. If we can be proven by our fruits... If if you can see a Christian and see a faithful Christian by the fruit that he produces, is it possible to find out who Satan is by his fruits? Yes. It, It obviously is. If I can find out who a faithful Christian is and how a faithful Christian lives, then I can find out exactly who Satan is by the rotten fruit that he produces. Now in the next few moments, let's look at some fruit. That Satan has produced. Turn over to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. This is not the first sin. Contained within the Bible. This is the sons. Of Adam and Eve. One chapter later. In chapter 3. The the Adam Adam and Eve. Were expelled from the garden. In chapter 4. We run upon their sons. Cain and Abel. Now here's the rotten fruit. Cain, you can change God's design in worship. doesn't really matter. Hey, where do you see that, preacher? We see it in chapter 4, verse number 3. And you'll read it by very simple terms. And it won't even say, and then Cain changed God's worship. You'll read that in the process of time, Cain, right there it is. In the process of time. Which would tell me before that point in time. Cain was following after what God had told them. And then some point in time he decided to change from animals and the fat and the blood thereof. To the fruit of the ground. Because Satan had sold him a bill of goods saying you can change God's worship. You can see that also in Nadab and Bihu. In Numbers chapter 11. They had everything going the right way. They had their clothes on the right way. They had their incense and the fire on there the right way. They had the incense on there the right way. They didn't have the fire the right way. See, so just those little bitty changes. You can, you can just do that and everything will be okay. What was the result of those two things? Made out of Baju was immediate death. Cain was a marking so bad that, that it ultimately pushed him away from society and caused him to die. Do you understand what Satan's rotten fruit result is? Death. What about 2 Samuel 6? The nation of Israel bringing back the, the coveted Ark of the Covenant. This is, this is over what uh, the nation of Israel and the nation of, of the Philistines would fight very extensive. The Philistines wanted it. It was a, a, a trophy for them. And they get it back after a long period of time where the, the Philistines had it. And they bring it back on an ox cart. Pulled by an ox. Everybody is running out in front of that cart. They're rejoicing. Everybody's happy. And then it happened... That the ox stumbled. And as he stumbled, you don't stumble backward. As he stumbled forward, the box, the covenant, the ark of the covenant shifted on that cart. And it was going to teeter off of the head. Come on, Uzzah. You don't want God's box to hit the ground. You don't want the sacred box of God to touch the dirt, do you? Help him out. In my estimation, I don't think Uzzah had any malice, any intent to to cause harm to God or to His people. As a matter of fact, everything I know about us, it seemed to be a pretty okay guy. And then he did it. Put his hand out there to steady that heart. And he died. You say, well, that's, that's pretty extreme, isn't it, God. Well, didn't God say don't touch it? Didn't God say when you carry it around, you carry it around on these poles, on the backs of these men? Nowhere where in God's word do you read that the nation of Israel was allowed to, to carry that Ark of the Covenant on the back of, a, of, a, of an ox or on an ox cart? And that's what they did. Had it been on those poles, on the shoulders of the children of Moriah, then it would have been carried the right way. It would, the, the ox would not have stumbled. Other would not have put his hand there. But the result in Satan's rotten fruit is death. You see, Uzzah, you can help out God a little bit. Because he doesn't know everything. Because he's not prepared for everything? In, in what universe would I think it would be okay for me to help God out? How about 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12? David, who should have been in the battle with his, with his army, was at home. And one evening he finds himself standing on the rooftop and he's Caesar. And as Samuel 11, chapter, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 will tell us, Bathsheba was very beautiful. And then Satan's rotten fruit shows its head one more time and say, David, you're the king. No one here can tell you what to do or how to do it. You should be able to take and do anything you want, however you want. The fallacy behind Satan's rotten fruit in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is this. While David is the king of Israel and while David can on this earth do and have whatever he wants he will one day stand before the king of the world and he will give an account for that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 just like you and I will. The result of this sin was the death of Uriah. You and I all know. He was put up into the hottest portion of the battle. and then there was, The army was drawn away from him. And he basically carried his own death certificate to Joab. Did you know 36 others in that fight lost their life because of the sin of David? By the way, did you know David's child with Bathsheba died because of the sin that happened all because all because David believed you're the king and you can take whatever you want. Satan's rotten fruit, what's the result? Death. Look at Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, the prophet of God, is told to go down, get in a boat and go over to Nineveh. He goes down, gets into a boat and sails to, toward Tarshish. Completely opposite directions. Jonah is a a patriot in the eyes of the Israelite nation because he doesn't like Nineveh. He doesn't like those folks in Babylon. He's not going over there to teach them what's right. He doesn't care if they live or die. Matter of fact, he, as a patriot in the in the Israel, would would hope that they would die because they're the enemy. And so he believes Satan's fruit of is just get in a boat and go the other way. Go whichever way you'd like to, Jonah. What's God really going to do? (laughs) What's God really going to do? Well, he's going to send a gigantic storm. And while everyone is throwing everything overboard that they can to try to lighten the load, Jonah looks at these sailors. Who have faced storms before and are terrified of this one and say, hey, I'm the problem. And then he says. Throw me over. What? Yeah, if you'll throw me over, God will be satisfied and none of these things will happen anymore. It didn't take very long for these. These. Say uh, sailors to say, "Okay, throw you on over." His result that he was thrown into the sea, eventually swallowed by a great fish. The ultimate end of that was that he repented and was uh, allowed to go to Nineveh. The result here at the very beginning in Jonah chapter one, he's thrown into the sea. These sailors, assuming they're throwing him in there to die. John chapter 18 after Jesus lived some 33 odd years on this earth after he handpicked 12 disciples who were going to become the apostles save one after they have this last supper uh, in an upper room and as during this supper at, at, right after he has said one of you is going to betray me after he says the one who dips with me is the one Judas never thought twice about it, seemingly, at least in the beginning. Judas hearing year after year from Jesus that, that the plan of God is that the Messiah sacrifice himself in order to redeem man. Judas, Judas I believe, believe in Christ. Says, if it's God's plan anyway, why not make a buck on it? Why not make some money off the fact that, that God's plan is going to happen and these things are going to happen this way? He comes into that garden. In the back side of that garden where Jesus is praying, only a stone's throw away from three disciples. Walks up to the Savior of the world, moments before he is arrested, moments before the trials begin. Kisses him on his cheek. And says, "Rabbi, teacher, master." That's when they take Jesus away. Begin to pull out the hairs of his beard. Begin to slap him. Begin to beat him beyond recognition. Eventually, nailing him to the cross. Eventually, getting the bloodlust satisfied of the company as they as they rid themselves of Jesus of Nazareth. Only to find out about three days later you didn't rid yourself of anything. But what happened to Judas? Goes out and hangs himself in the potter's field. And the Bible will tell us that his body stays there so long that the skin, as it decomposes, becomes very tender. Until his innards are no longer inside. Oh, just a little profit off of God's, what it cost you. Through Acts chapter 26. As Paul the Apostle is making his way to Caesar, because he has already at this point appealed to Caesar as his right as a Roman citizen. He makes his way first from Felix, then next up to Agrippa. Turn over to to Acts chapter 26. One of my favorite passages probably in the book of Acts. You You find in Acts chapter 26, in verse number 24 beginning. All right, let's start in verse number 26 beginning. For the king knoweth these things, before whom I also speak freely, that I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. And then Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Without even hesitation for for Agrippa to speak back, Paul says, I know that you do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the, the scripture that was written down by God's prophets? I know that you do. And you know the things that were done. Were not done in, in a way to want to overthrow the government of Rome. They were not done in a corner. As a matter of fact. Because they were done by God. Rome really doesn't have anything to say about it. If they don't like it. It really doesn't matter. They can't do anything about it. God's will is going to be done. Then Agrippa said to Paul. Almost Almost You persuaded me to be a Christian. And realistically, in the in the literal, what he would say would be, with so many or with so few words, do you suppose that you could transform my mind into thinking the way yours does? Almost. Perhaps he says it with a little bit of sarcasm in his voice. Try one more time, Paul. Let's get one more go at it. Maybe, maybe you got something else in your bag of tricks. What Agrippa is saying is, I'm not going to obey. I don't plan on obeying. I plan on following my life as King Agrippa out just as far as it will go because my life's pretty good, Paul. The fact of the matter is, if Agrippa did not change, if Agrippa lived his life, and we don't have a biblical record of him changing, but if he never did, he never put on Christ in baptism, here's what I know. Because of the life that he lived and because of the fruit that he produced, his life will end in a second death. Turn over, if you will, to Second Timothy chapter 4. One more Second Timothy, Chapter Four. And when you get that, there we go. Look down at verse number ten. The a fellow Demas mentioned here. And two more times within the New Testament he's mentioned. And the other two times he's mentioned as being a fellow laborer with Paul. One who is, who is working alongside the Apostle Paul. One who is working and striving in Asia Minor to establish churches and to keep the, uh, the kingdom of God producing. Second Timothy four in verse number ten is the last verse we read about Demas found within the entirety of the Bible, where Paul writes by the inspiration of God, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, is gone to Thessalonica. He has. Agrippa had it standing before him. Salvation. Demas had it in his hands. And the rotten fruit of Satan that they both believed was, the grass is greener on the other side. And the fact of the matter is, no, it's not. Demas, while he lived, had... All opportunity to come back to God. Every opportunity to man. He could have come back to Paul and that group and said, Hey, listen, I have done awful things against you guys. I'm not going to be one who, is, who is, is looked and seen at as being one who is undermining what you're doing. I'm going to step away from what you guys are doing. I'm going to go over to a completely different city. I'm going to change my name. I'm going to do something differently. But I'm going to work for God. Instead of Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. At the end of that fruit is also a second death. And for some reason, for some astronomical reason. We disregard John 8 and verse 44, which would tell us that Satan is the father or the originator of all lies, and we think we're strong enough to get through this life on our own. We think that we can make the right decisions, and that we can make this, and we can do that, and that that Satan's rotten fruit won't affect me, like it did slide after slide after slide of people found within the Bible. You know, I'm I'm much stronger than David was. I'm better at this than Demas was. I'm, I'm more profitable to God than Cain was. We think very highly of ourselves. Satan's rotten fruit contains death. It always has. Turn over one more place. Second Corinthians or First Corinthians, chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter 15. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes about death. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound. And the dead shall be raised up to incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written up, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. (laughs) Strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord.